Good morning, and welcome to episode 75 of After the Gig. It's crazy to say that number. 75 episodes so far. I'm Jesse Humphrey, and today on the show, I have recording artist Nick Howard. Nick's music has been featured on shows like Pretty Little Liars, Switched at Birth, The Hills, Jersey Shore, Jersey Shore, Next, True Life, Cougar Town, 90210, LA Inc., Greek, and Army Wives. He's got a lot of music, and he's put it out in a lot of places. One of the things that we talked about in this episode is just like how many songs that he's come up with and and written throughout the course of this pandemic. I think it's like over 100, which is just sounds like a lot. Just sounds like a lot to me. He's a true artist. He's just always making stuff. Um, Back in 2012, he won the Voice of Germany, which is a very big deal. And since then, he's been busy touring around the world releasing new music. And speaking of new music, at the end of this episode, I will be featuring the new single he's released called Still Young. So please stick around for the end. Nick is a great guy. I met him in 2015 when I was on the road with Eric Hutchinson, and it was just so good to catch up with him. Um, I actually didn't realize that he had moved to Nashville. So like a lot of these episodes, when I talk to somebody in Nashville, I I forget about the time difference. So I'm like, hey, we're going to talk at... 10 okay sounds good and then you know i get up and i'm ready to go at 10 and and i text the person and and they're like yeah we're gonna start an hour right and i'm like oh shit so that always happens to me you know attention to detail it's important guys it's important to pay attention to detail but without further ado i really really love this conversation and i hope you do too so please enjoy this episode with my buddy Nick Howard. Life is funny, it's a big surprise. It turns you up and inside out. I tried so hard to figure it out. This that's the way that it goes on. How are you, bud? What's up, man? Been a, been a minute, been a few years. It's been a long time. Um, 2014? 15? Yeah, is that right? 15, maybe. Yeah, 15? Yeah, because uh, those um, those did, few shows with, with uh, E. Hutch, those were, yeah, 15, I think, 2015. It, fly, it flies by because you see people, you know, obviously on social media and you chat, and so it doesn't feel like, you know, you haven't seen people for a minute, but then right. you're like, all right, I have, you know. Um, yeah, that's the nice thing about you is, like, you, you make it a point to, like, check in on people, which is nice, you know. I, Thank I you, man. You know, I feel like out of the many people that I've met on the road, like you and uh, you remember Max Schaefer? Uh, he was he was working with Eric on that run. Um, Max. He was like, yeah, kind of, kind of like a te- uh, tech guy. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. There's some people that are just really, really good at it, and you're one of them. So I appreciate oh, thanks, you coming man. I on, man. It. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's you know you, you meet people I think along the way, don't you? Doing what we what we do that you you, you realize are decent people and people that you, you might want to work with down the road yourself and stuff like that. So I always try and you know yeah keep 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 in touch with people as best I can and and you know hopefully it reciprocates. And here we are doing this, so it worked <laughs> for sure. When did you move down to Nashville? It's so funny because I have made that mistake, um, uh, uh, like time zone mistake a few times yeah. now <laughs> and it's like it's like That's oh funny. shit i should find i should have figured out where where they are coming from where they're living now but i for no, some reason i thought that you were still in new york 
No, we actually moved down here. It'll be four years this summer. Four it, years. Like, yeah, but but I'm in New York quite a lot because we have family up there, so it can be misleading. A lot of people think I still live in Germany. A lot of people think I live in New York. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I imagine. So it's all over the place. But now yeah, we've lived in Nashville for four years. It's crazy because we've got um, snow and ice, like, you, you know, which would be nothing for you or where you live. But, like, you know, this city cannot handle it at all. So. School's canceled today. You know, it's nuts. Kids are running around home. It's, it's crazy. You know, yeah. And and outside here today in Providence, it is fifty degrees and like like a light drizzle. Like a light drizzle. So go figure. It's twelve degrees right here. So. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, we're in the terrible. vortex we're in the polar vortex how long is this it's supposed real- to last for i haven't really checked the weather or the news right unfortunately the whole week which is a bummer because <sighs> it means it means school is gonna be out the whole week so here we are i was saying to my, my, my friend yesterday i was like why does this feel like eerily like march 2020 all over again right now i know <laughs> like, the kids are back to, are back in school your kids are actually going to school yeah they they, they just um yeah, they've been going back to school, so it was uh, great timing. <laughs> then oh the snow God. came along. And like, wait that, a so. second. Yeah. Mother <laughs> Nature has something to say about this. Love to get a break here, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Did, did you uh, enjoy the move down to Nashville? I'm sure, you know, music business had a lot to do with it, but. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I think the music business is what brought us here originally um, in terms of just coming to Nashville and through Nashville for shows and writing and recording. But. Every time we came down here, we, we were just like, this is such a great city uh, to live, you know, and, and, you know, starting to have kids and thinking about where we would want to raise them. And we lived in New York for such a long time, over 10 years, lived in Europe, back in Europe um, for a minute. And, and Nashville just ticks so many boxes. So yeah. we, that's kind of why we moved, you know, it, it wasn't so much the music industry, although that's a great thing down here to, to be around, but it was more just about quality of life and, you know, right. the people, it, it's such a cool city, right? There's so many people moving here from from you know i mean our street's got so many europeans on it and uh, it's just it's fascinating right now so it's kind of fun to be part of it you know the growth you see it every day like when i was out of college everyone was either going to go to a lot of my friends went to austin uh to start off yep. mm-hmm. and then and then they eventually kind of migrated over to nashville some you know la whatever but um there was always something about Nashville. And it, I felt like when I was getting out of college, it was almost like getting in early on a stock or something. It was yeah, like, right. <laughs> that's when things were starting. People were like, oh, wait a minute. I can go and live somewhere and do the thing I love to do for like how much money? And yeah. I, can, I can get how much space? And, and there's all these opportunities there. So now yeah, it's just exactly. kind of, you know, blossomed into this huge, I mean, it's been like that for a, for a bunch of years now, but um I always think it's an interesting decision that kids coming out of college have to make where it's like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? It's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And that's going to be even weirder now post COVID, you know, well, eventually post COVID because a lot of the draw of the cities like New York and, you know, London have have probably for now gone away a little bit. So you'll probably see a lot more people. Do you think it'll remain like that? I don't know. I don't know think anyone really knows the answer to that at the moment. I, I think New York has bounced back from the worst moments, you know, in, in modern history. So I, I would never uh, doubt it. You know, right. it's never, never. New York always seems to rise above, and um, London, same thing. I mean, geez, London's had a torrid history, and and, is, and it seems still the two of the best cities in the world. So right. I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count them out. But it, it definitely feels. Um, 
feels like they've taken a beating, you know, like, like, like most places have this year. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure they'll be bounced back and those rents will get jacked right back up again. And <laughs> people will be struggling to, to pay their rent every month. Yeah. It'd be unbelievable. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever going to get out of, uh, like, I don't think people will stop doing this kind of thing. Right. You know? I think once that kind of genie's out of the bottle and, people know and people have learned so much about technology and and making it good make it work in in like a not glitchy way mm-hmm. um now have you done um I, we you talked about that you're going to do a song right um after this or so, at some point today yeah is that, that, was that was actually that was actually an, a rare in-person one that's now being canceled because of the snow and like no one can oh. drive on the roads right now so go figure right i'll write but a song it, with you let's do it yeah dude we'll just write a song um but it, it's uh I, I think what's happened with this you know the pandemic is it's forced everyone to realize you can work like this and obviously right. like our industry you would think would might be one of the the harder ones to to, to be able to create over a medium like this, but I think everyone's got so used to it now. And what, what yeah. people have realized is that it actually enables you to, to do way more uh, in terms of writing because you can write with people all over the world. You know, it doesn't cost anything, <laughs> which is you don't always have to nice. go anywhere. You yeah, you don't have to go anywhere. anywhere. And the technology is so, it's gotten so good and it can be a bit weird sometimes. And, right. you know, but it's for the most part, man, it's been, yeah, I've done, I don't know, dozens and dozens of virtual co-writes and production sessions this year and it's been the last 12 months and it's been really cool you know has there been anything yeah i know seriously has (laughs) there been anything that has has materialized into something more than just writing a song like anything getting out there you know yeah you have a lot to do with um you've had a lot of music and tv shows and stuff like that so yeah exactly so yeah i i a lot of the stuff that i've written is starting to be put out under my artist project, you know, I started this song of the month, um, last month and trying to put out a single every month this year, which seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, <laughs> I've so added to my funny. stress and anxiety uh, as if I needed it. Um, yeah. but it's been really great. I, I think I probably wrote over a hundred songs last year between, you know, myself, my, for my project and others and been, been, uh, had the benefit of working with, with this cool, uh, publishing collective since right before the pandemic started. So been doing, co-writes for other artists for different types of music for ads for tv you name it just all over the place so it's been a busy year for that which has been nice i shouldn't be so surprised because it's your job but like a hundred a hundred songs that sounds like a lot to write in a in a year like is that do you get to the point where you know everyone's different every songwriter is different where they get to a point where they can just get into a space and they can steamroll and just songs just keep coming and coming. And then there's other times that I've noticed that like, um, you know, it's, there's just nothing happening. You know, there, yep. there, there might be really long stretches of just like, nah, I don't, you know, don't feel like doing that. Is, uh, do you go through points like that or do you have a way that you can kind of break through those, uh, periods of inactivity? Yeah, well, I should. I guess I should preface that like a hundred songs is more than the the in total amount of of songs I've released over like a ten year period. Yeah, so that's normally, what I'm saying. yeah, normally I'm not like that at all, and and I I'm not I'm not one of those people that could just typically could wake up every day and just write a song. That's just not you know I have to like wait for the lightning to strike or the moment to be right. But I think because of COVID and not being able to tour and do a lot of the stuff the other stuff that you know we we would normally do um 
and 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 you know i, I run a, a, a live booking business as well so it's like the two biggest things that i usually do were kind of taken away by covid so we were kind of forced into this situation right well there's one the one element of our career we could still you know d- tackle is writing and producing and so and i was really lucky to be connected into a you know a group with a lot of writing projects and I, i'm i'm someone that's like if you if you say to me nick you need to write a song about cheese today I'll, I'll, I'll write something in like 30 minutes for you no problem but if there's no idea if i just have to write a song i'm not very good at it so i okay. need like i need some kind of deadline or idea or you know just something to get me going and then i'm pretty efficient but that's it so uh, you know it's always nice to have projects to work on because then you feel like you're writing and the song of the month thing for me is a way to kind of force myself to write because i think otherwise time just slips away and you're like i haven't written anything right. you know recently but if you just set yourself a deadline and be like, well you have to have this done you know and i'm it's uh, and i'm really fortunate because i've been able to crowdfund it with support of like wonderful fans and then you feel like you owe them so you right. have to it really forces me to to get moving and to to do my, my, my thing. And so the, the answer would be different 12 months ago. I would have told you I can only write when like inspiration strikes, but now it seems to have become more of like the nine to five, you know, thing. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. So the topics of your song, like you said, uh, you know, if I told you to write a song about cheese, you could do it. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Cheese. <laughs> so, so um, to Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, I'm always I'm always curious about song topics and you know that kind of inspiration where it comes from. Like for you, does it have to be? Is it is it just like a small? I'm sure you know. Like all these things, it's all subjective. It can all be different things all the time. But does it have to be like a small pebble of an idea that you turn into something else, or does it have to be some kind of story or grand grander idea that you have to write about, or can it? Does that make sense? Does that question yeah. make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I know that some people need more of a, like you know, a twist or, or something in their songs, and other people can just can just pinpoint on one subject and just mm-hmm. and write three verses about it. You know, yeah, uh, for sure. Ten verses about it. I so. think it's I think it's both. I think sometimes if you start out with an idea and concept, and you're like, I have to write about this today. I have to tell this story, and that's the way you're going to write. So if, if, you know, that, that, if something came through, like, let's say it was for like a movie or something, they're like, here's, here's the thing. There's a part in the movie where this is happening. That way you're like, okay, I have such a clear idea about what this needs to be about. Mm-hmm. You would go that, that direction. But I think for me, a lot of my solo stuff, my, pro- my artist project that I've released over the years is very unwillingly just autobiographical. You know, right. it's just, it's kind of like a diary. And if I li- if I go back and I listen to stuff I put out like 10 years ago, it sounds like it's some, some, someone in their mid-20s trying to figure out life in New York and working three jobs and just happy to be alive and going, you know, going at it. And, I, and as, I, as I go through and I listen to when I had you know, my, my first, my daughter, it was like, now it's very introspective and it's a lot about, you know, what, what kind of dad am I going to be? And, and this year, the stuff I put out or am putting out is largely about, you know, the p- period of my life I'm at now and, and you know, getting older and, missing you know my family back home who i haven't been able to see for you know almost a year and a half because of the pandemic and um you know just like just trying to figure out what 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 the hell has happened to us all in the last 12 months because i don't really think we we know no, we <laughs> the effect don't. it's gonna have on us for, for, for quite some time and so it really depends but i think for the stuff i put out under like nick howard it's it, you it tends to be autobiographical and so i don't even 
I just have some <clears throat> a feeling and emotion and then that seed grows and grows and grows and all of a sudden you have a song. Whereas if I'm writing for a specific project, it's like, okay, here's the framework. I know what I got to do, you know, fill in, the, connect the dots. But yeah, so it really depends on the kind of what you're writing, I think. Hopefully yeah. that answers the, the question. No, it definitely does. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's one of the most interesting things about it is how, how different it can be for so many different artists. Yeah. So, it's, and there's no, never, there's, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's no, there's okay. no, um, there's no formula, right? It's like, I don't, you probably well, asked this question to a bunch of people and, and, and no one really knows how it happens. You know? No one knows how it happens. <laughs> right. But I do know some people that do use, um, some kind of formula, like mm-hmm. for, for a very small example, some people will always have their chorus be be a higher register than their verses yes. just to bring it up and uplift and that's a big thing in pop music and stuff mm-hmm. like that is there any kind of method you try to to work with or do you just let the song happen as it's going so it's, it's a really good question i think a lot of it depends on the music you grew up listening to this is a different route than I've, than yeah, I've heard. I, I've had, I, 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 I'll, I'll think of who else had this. Um, this is not my original idea, but somebody else I was listening to was talking about this. Um, and uh, it really stuck with me. And it was about, if you grew up listening to the Beatles, then you're typically, you're, you're probably always going to write like a three minute pop song, right. you know, unless, unless pushed in another direction. Um, the music I grew up listening to, obviously, you know, influence of our, our parents generation we would have had the beatles and the who and the rolling stones and all that those kinds of things and then i you know when i was a teenager and i started writing songs i was listening to bands like oasis later coldplay like you know these were my sort of formative songwriting years um and the common commonality between all those artists is that the choruses are very big you yeah, know they're, they're like anthemic like you know stadium kind of things even before they were playing stadiums that's what they were writing and um i think that that's where i go is like okay verse sets up the chorus and the chorus has to be like a home run and like right. then bring it back to the verse and then the song builds but because i i just inherently do that i try and force myself to, to not do that sometimes as well and i've been trying that a lot recently and to think okay you would normally do this what have you tried this what do we start out the song with the chorus you know what if the chorus is a drop is a drop moment and like it's just super emotional and the verse has all the energy um, what if we do something that's just not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, breakdown, right. chorus, chorus. What if it's like just more of a, a journey, more like a cinematic kind of thing where it just rises and rises. So I think a lot of it just depends on like what formed your music, your musicality. And then it yeah. depends if you want, you, you know, if you can challenge yourself to get out of that box a little bit. Um, so I definitely think that that is a theory into like how you write is what you listen to growing up. I mean that's a great perspective and and that's the kind of music that I listened to a lot when I was when I was younger like I listened to a lot of Oasis and I remember um and I got super into all these different uh concert DVDs and watched every interview I could see I remember uh Noel Gallagher talking about um who I met in oh, Nashville cool. actually no I met I met him in a drum shop in Nashville um No way. This place when was right that? It's a place right across the street from Eddie's barbecue. Yeah, at least, yeah, it's called Fork's drum, um, Fort, Fort's yeah. drum closet. Yeah. yeah. 
They so, unfortunately they moved uh, off of the street, unfortunately, because that's like uh, a five minute walk, walk for me. And calling music, yeah. So I used to go. There, I used to take, you know go there all the time, obviously. And they moved kind of you know as everyone gets priced out, uh, you know, of, of twelve south. But it's like, right. yeah, that's cool that you met him there. It was a couple of years ago, and I was there uh, with Carbon Leaf. I was about to play. I think I played the basement East, which is that not there anymore? That got destroyed or something. It, it, unfortunately, it got it got completely taken out by the tornado. Uh, but as is as is Nashville's resilience, they, they've I think it's it's close to opening again when oh, we can wow. have it open. So people, yeah, they they got it rebuilt. Yeah, that's it's, incredible. It's crazy. That's crazy. Nashville had a pretty rough couple of months there at the beginning of twenty twenty. It's, it's been a rough little while. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I went there, I needed like a drum key or I wanted to check something out and I had never been to that drum shop and it's, you know, pretty, pretty uh, famous. So I went in there, I'm walking around, I go to the back room and then I come back, we're about to leave and I'm with a buddy of mine and I, he's right there with his girlfriend or wife, like right by himself and he's playing with all these percussion instruments and I overhear him say like, oh, we could use this on Wonderwall. And I'm, and I'm thinking like to my, to myself, I'm like, there is a legendary person who has written some of the best songs in like, in pop music or rock and in rock and roll. And he's right in front of me. Like, and I was about to walk out and not say anything to him. And I went and I was like, I can't do that. I went up to him and I don't know how to talk to famous people. So I just, I went (laughs) and said, I was like, Hey, I don't want to bother you. I know with, you're with someone, but I just want to say thank you for like everything you have done. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, great. And and he's like, "Oh, thanks, man." I was like, "I know it's the most uncool thing in the world, but I have to take a picture with you if you'll if if you'll say yes." He's yeah, like, yeah. "Sure." And you know, he did the scowl. He didn't smile at all, which, yeah, was, which was perfect. Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted him to. Smile. I don't want him yeah. to smile. <laughs> um, but that was amazing. But I remember this interview where he he talked about how when oasis was wasn't famous at all and they were playing this tiny hall or a bar or something and they're playing cigarettes and alcohol playing as if they were in this massive stadium and people are like looking at them like what the fuck is going on it's like to have that belief and the balls to do that and just like not have a care in the world man that's great man it's the absolute best and and, you know he grew up going to like you know man city games and and he 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 references those like you know the big chance the crowd like soccer uh songs as as like his influence in songwriting which is why his choruses are so mega and like he can imagine like tens of thousands of people singing them so it's uh yeah, I saw him play the Ryman with the, with the high flying birds. Maybe it was when you when you bumped into him. It it's probably about three, was t- two or three years ago now. I would say. Yeah. I mean, it's probably come through a lot. And um, he he just before he played Wonderwall, he said, "Yeah, it's pretty nuts, Nashville. I walked down Broadway um, earlier today, and for anyone that's watching and listening that doesn't know Broadway and Nashville, there's probably twenty plus bars, each of which has two or three stages with live music playing." in pre-pan non-pandemic times uh, t- t- 12 hours of the day 13 hours i mean it's it's, it's from incredible. midday midday till two in the morning so 14 hours a day and um he said he heard wonderwall being played 10 times and as he walked <laughs> up and down this the broadway and i just thought how cool is that like a guy from manchester comes to nashville tennessee walks down broadway and hears his song covered in 10 different locate you know so nuts um but yeah, he, he's a legend. So uh, I wonder way, if you ever songs, get over that. I wonder if you ever get over, or if he, if it's something he even thinks thinks about. Like, look at what I have accomplished. 
Like, yeah, I mean, the fact he was talking about it was a, I felt like a bit of a rare moment of, you know, humility and, and, and right. you know, reflection for, for Noel Gallagher. So I think it definitely still resonates with him. Um, sure. The person I was thinking about, by the way, was Rick Rubin, uh, who, who mentioned about growing up listening to the Beatles. There's a podcast he, he did with um, Malcolm Gladwell. And I think Questlove is in the episode too. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to it, it's really cool. I have, and they're just chatting about music, and that's what Rick Rubin says is why he tries to, you know, come up with these like three-minute pop songs is because he grew up listening to the Beatles, and that's what he thought. That's what you do, <laughs> and that's interesting because Rick Rubin is a huge influence of mine. Like I love, I absolutely love Rick Rubin. I love uh, the Rage albums. I love the Beastie Boys. Like anything mm-hmm. that Rick Rick Rubin ever touched, and the thing the thing I love about Rick Rubin so much is the fact that he lets the artist be the artist. He doesn't turn, he, he gives the artist the, the best chance to, to create, you know, what they want. It's like, yeah, here's what this artist is and here's what they want to create. I'm going to be the one to facilitate and make this into what they, what they need it to be. He, he lets the artist be the artist. And I think that is like incredible. Whenever I see, you know, productions and, and like an artist come out, comes out with a song and then they work with some producer and then they're a completely different person after that. Mm-hmm. I always, I always kind of cringe a little bit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, but that yeah. the one thing about Rick Rubin is, is something that stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. That's He's his great. thing, isn't it? It's sort of like allowing artists to be themselves. And also I think sometimes to like rediscover themselves, it seems to yeah. be, he's really good at that, you know, with the Johnny Cash stuff he did. And, um, that's, a, it's, it seems to be, I mean, I don't, I don't think he started out that way, but it seems to be a very like hands off approach in terms yes. of like the actual production, what you, what you and I might think of production. Um, which is which is so cool, and I mean, he just his, his resume doesn't lie, does it? So he can't, no. you know, his method obviously works. No. And I, I I talk about this this particular thing all the time, and I sent it to someone actually this week because I think it's so fascinating. But in it, it, it's rel- you know it relates to what we're talking about when um, Jay Z did uh, Ninety Nine Problems. Have you seen that video? It's, uh, yeah. it's kind of doing yeah. And the black the cool. black album DVD. The black album, yeah, yeah. and it's so cool to see you know jay-z doesn't write anything down and just it just loops the thing and just and just i mean crazy. that's crazy crazy yeah, like, it's so cool to watch but it's really cool to see rick rubin excited about that like he hasn't seen someone do that before would you yeah. think he's seen everything right you know, but but it, i just thought it was really cool that that, that he was you know excited and impressed by that because that particular that particular video was when he was doing the the police officer pulling over the guy part like right. you were doing 55 and a 54 yeah whatever. yeah that yeah. part watching him record that part and and just letting jay-z just like do what jay-z was gonna do it was yeah. like come it's, on it's man. crazy i i don't know how he jay-z even keeps that stuff in his head like i have to like no. look at the lyrics like you know i have to like make little notes on my lyrics like to know how to sing them and it's 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 a if anyone hasn't seen that go check it out it's amazing yeah that the black album dvd it's like yeah the way that they go even even the scenes where uh he he's in the studio with timberland mm-hmm. and timberland showing him beats and stuff and just how excited they get like those are the yeah. moments those are the moments in the studio that 
people don't like understand that don't record yeah. music. It's like, it's like, Oh my God, that moment when you hear something and you're creating something, you listen back and you just get like chills and you're like, wow, yep. you, you picture it in front of the audience and stuff. It's so cool. And to, to have a, to have the foresight, to have a camera rolling for that, for that stuff too, because I, sometimes I watch some of this Beatles stuff and you know, Peter Jackson has this get back documentary coming out yeah. at some point. And I'm thinking like, okay, nowadays we have a phone with us that can record 4k. Like, but how in the sixties did someone have the foresight to literally film everything, you know, that yeah. they were doing It's So, so they, someone must've known these guys are going to be absolutely huge and I need to film this. You know, it's the same yeah. with Coldplay. They had a documentary came out a few years ago and it has stuff from like when they're in college, like messing around, you know, in the dorms and stuff. And, you know, there's probably a million other videos like this for bands that didn't make it. Right, <laughs> but, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but thank goodness someone, someone had the foresight to record these things because, uh, you know, there's another one with Pharrell and Justin Timberlake making JT's first record yep. and them coming up with a bridge for Senorita or something, I think it is. And it's just so cool to see that that magic happen and people's yep. process. And anyway, gone for days about this. That is one of my, <laughs> That is like literally one of my favorite things to do is watch yes. watch concert and and you know just dvds and and uh youtube videos like that like another great one is when john mayer recorded um uh with charlie hunter yeah in repair uh, in repair at, yeah, yeah. At avatar studios in new york yeah. and that's that's on youtube and it's like you just see how these ideas just grow from nothing and yeah, then absolutely. and then they you bring in someone like charlie hunter who's just incredible and then Steve yeah. jordan who is you know i mean the groove god not not a, not a bad tr uh, trio to have at your disposal. not a bad situation <laughs> and then you just create a song you did it in a day it's just yeah and it's a beautiful song that's a good um, new york anyone that like loves new york as well there's something very new york about that video too like when he rocks up in the cab and all and then he's got his pedals arrive and yeah i just thought that was a really cool like new york moment as well then then putting that together it was really neat and the funny thing about new york to me and new york moments is like he rolls up in a cab and to me new york is a very chaotic place mm -hmm. like i don't love being in new york and i yeah. feel like i feel like a, a lot of people feel that way and a lot and, and so many people love it they just they don't know how and people live any other way yeah yeah i was one of those people for a long time <laughs> right i'm sure um but like when he rolls up in the in the cab and and goes into the studio and then all of his pedals are just laid out yeah. it's like outdoors is so chaotic but being indoors in new york city and being in a place with people is like where the magic is to me and yeah and some people might not agree but like walking around on the streets and seeing the buildings and stuff that's overwhelming to me it's when you go into that like basement studio or when you go into a a, a restaurant and you're with people and then you have your space you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. And then you come out and you're back in that crazy mayhem. But yeah, for a moment, like, you had a bit of... Yeah. I gotta go home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and and like, you know, there's some famous recording studios that a lot of which aren't around anymore, but like the Magic Shop. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about the Magic Shop, you know, which is yeah. an, an episode of... Um, is it... Um, what's the... Sonic Highways, right? Is the Foo Fighters? Uh, the Foo Fighters one, yeah. That's yeah, a great that's one, a, too. Yeah, that's a fascinating... And that, like... Um, I remember who it was, but they said they were recording there for two months and just walked past it every day uh, without realizing it was even there, you know, yeah. in, in Soho. And yeah, New York's, I mean, uh, yeah, I could talk about New York for a long time, but it's, um, it, it, there is chaos and there's calm in New York and somewhere in yeah. the middle there is like magic, you know, and I think that's what I love about it. There are, there are these magical moments and these magical places in New York City that 
you just can't deny them. Like, right. And a venue that's done a really good job of kind of harnessing that is Rockwood Music Hall. Yeah. Which, which is like they turn they turn Rockwood three. Have you pl- ever played Rockwood three? Yeah, the, down, the downstairs one was one of the last shows I played before the pandemic last year. Yeah, what a, a, beautiful year, a year ago this week actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. And then you know Rockwood one has the bar. It's like the up and comers, the starting out yep. or the small shows, and it's just they really bottled in New York in into a, a beautiful music venue that doesn't really exist anywhere else. And when I was Not, when yeah, I was living totally in Boston, yeah, when I was living in Boston. That was something that that I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I like it here, but we don't have that, and no one's mm-hmm. doing that, and there isn't this like really accepted community, and and a lot of a lot of people uh, from the outside, just mute listeners. Like, I would just go into Rockwood Music Hall at seven when they open, sit in there, have my two drinks, and just stay there all day, mm-hmm. all day long, and and just listen to whoever came in, and you find some incredible artists there. It's unbelievable. It's a special, special place. And it was, it was kind of interesting. So I moved to New York in 2004 and right around then was like the tail end of like a lot of the places that like were, you know, CBGB's was still open. Shanae was still open. These were like venues that like Jeff Buckley played at. Right. And they were, but there weren't, there wasn't sort of a new breed of like this, cause there's so many singer songwriters, you know, around this sort of like mid late 2000s, early two. Uh, sorry, yeah, the late 2000s and then 2010s. Um, and then Rockwood opened up in like 2007, I think. I just had the one stage. And yeah. it was like, have you, and, and I just remember in the community, it was like, have you played at Rockwood yet? Like, it's like a singer songwriter's dream. Yep. You know, it's like, it's, it, you, it's firstly the front, the facade is glass. So people walking past on the street see what's going on and it just looks awesome. So people come in. um it's so the people that run it are just awesome and the sound is always a great you don't need to do anything you just literally plug in and play and they're gonna make you sound great it's beautiful um it's such a good vibe the wine bar element of it and um it was literally like a you know you you were probably in and around that time as well it's just like a really nice community uh and of, of artists many of whom i'm still very good friends with today and many of whom have gone on to have like incredible careers you know that started out playing you know, this room to 50 people and, and it was just awesome. And people would sit in with other people and you'd recognize the same musicians playing like three gigs a night. And then they opened the second room and that was like a step up. Uh, you get, a, you know, 200 people in there. And then the third stage you, you mentioned, they opened a few years ago and just, I don't know, it's a great place. Uh, yeah. And I wish it existed in more cities. You know, even know. in Nashville, we don't really have anything like that. You know, but it, what happens, I think with Nashville, I think what happens is people come here expecting to be entertained, which they obviously do. They go to Broadway, you're going to see like the best musicians playing, you know, the best uh, versions of songs that you know. But right. a lot of people come, I think, to Nashville seeking, you know, the more of the the Rockwood vibe that we're talking about. And so I've noticed that that's evolved here and there's so many more singer-songwriters here and, uh, you know, the other genres that have been coming here over the years. So now you're starting to see a few things pop up um and then you know i I was mentioning earlier that i run a a, you know booking uh an events company and we we have this series called secret sounds where we invite people to come and see shows in an intimate setting we ran it outside socially distanced last year we're going to do it again in march um so because so many people come here i mean the amount of traffic that comes through nashville like tourist you know traffic they who would just want to be entertained there's like such a demand for it here but like to your point it's it 
it maybe wasn't that. You just have so many different different areas. Like if you think of Broadway, like you said, there's so many incredible acts just playing in the middle of the day. Like if you're yeah. there, if if you're there on your bachelorette or bachelor party, and you're walking up mm-hmm. the street and drinking whatever, you're gonna see some of the most amazing talented musicians that are there to entertain you they're playing music that maybe necessarily they wouldn't normally be playing you know they're playing covers and they're playing the natural 100 mm-hmm. or whatever and um and then they go home and they do their pat i don't know I'm, whoever is whoever is the musicians in Nashville can tell can can say it better but you know would yeah, you yeah. would you agree with that like that that's like the night job they're there to do a job and then maybe their passion is is another type of music or doing something yeah writing yeah it's i mean it's definitely sort of the bread and butter i think for a lot of musicians here um is the is the broadway circuit and uh yeah i always when people come to visit i'm like that's the first night one i mean again not talking pandemic times obviously but like night one normally i'm like we're gonna go to broadway and you're gonna see like the best musicians you've ever seen in your life and you're gonna be like what they're playing in this bar like and that yeah. you know and people are just blown away by the quality uh, and really like poignant thing i bought uh, my my good friend uh from germany plays keyboards with me a lot and we do a lot of songwriting together and he came over here a few years ago we were on tour and we had a day off in nashville and we went to uh I took him to broadway and we just sat out it was like a beautiful afternoon we had a beer on the balcony everyone windows were open and this guy just pulls up on the street with his cart sets up his drums and just starts playing his drums on the street, right? He set up a little <laughs> mini jet, like cocktail kit. And my, my buddy from, from Germany is just staring at, at, at this guy. And I was like, he's nuts, right? And my buddy is like, a guy in Germany that good would not be playing on the street. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, and I just thought that was a great, like, you know, summary of, of the level of talent in this town. It's insane, you know? So if anyone hasn't been here and once we get through this pandemic, like, you know, get yourself down there and spend a day walking yeah. around Bob and it's pretty cool. So you moved to New York in 2004 mm-hmm. before that. Um, and you released your, your first album in 2008. Yeah. First album. Yeah. I put a little EP self-produced EP out. Right. No six, but fortunately I've taken that off. It's gone. That's that's nowhere to be found. I love. I I I know so many artists that have deleted their early work from the internet just because if someone's going to be searching you, you 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 don't want that to be the first thing that they see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but before you moved there, was it just like, oh, I got to get to America to my to follow my passion and and all that stuff, or or yeah, different reasons or. No, there's, there's definitely like an element of that sort of American dream chasing to it, for sure. I, I've always had a sort of fascination with the States growing up. You know, I was always wanted to come, you know, ne- never had a chance. And then when I was around like 18, is it about around then my sister actually moved over before I did. She, she got a job, um, sort of an exchange job, you know, for a year. And I came out to visit her and she lived in, in New Jersey. And um, we went up to Manhattan or the city one day. And I came out of Penn Station and, just looked, and I was just like, I was hooked. You know, I just walked walked out and it was like Madison Square Garden, skyscrapers. I've never even seen a skyscraper. You know, it was like, I was just hooked. And uh, I I was, uh, yeah. And then I went to college in the UK and and by just good fortune, circumstance, managed to get myself an internship in in New York. It was non-music related um, when I was like 19, 20. So I got my own foot in the door in in the States. Went back, graduate. I had the best year of my life. Went back to graduate. 
and then fortunately again managed to get myself a, a job in new york and a visa and all the rest of it and um and 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 that's what i did and then for for five years worked you know nine to five then went to work in the restaurant in the evening then played open mic nights after finished at the restaurant and did that for like you know three or four four years and then finally was able to call music my full-time full-time passion about 11 years ago and for just about uh kept it going ever since <laughs> that's awesome were you That's a very uh, quick summary of my, <laughs> my that, is, that is a quick summary um <laughs> sure people can wikipedia um yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but that whole that whole thing like first of all was the immigration stuff difficult because i when i know a lot of people from my wife is from ireland she's actually getting her citizen citizenship on friday oh congrats that's awesome was that always oh, oh, it uh, an issue like did you have to keep going back for like interviews and stuff like that or did you uh or did you have like the sponsor with your job or your internship that kind of made everything super easy for you? Yeah, I wouldn't say easy, but I definitely, you know, that, that if you, if you don't have that sort of sponsor for a job, it's like impossible. Right. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, 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 you know, figure out way, a way to get, you know, job and, and, and the visa, the trickier, I think the trickiest time for me was when I was, kind of on the cusp of doing um the entertainment full-time you know because i had to switch visas from the job i was working who had been my sponsor to to an entertainment visa and that visa is one of the hardest to get because you have to prove that you know you're a professional um you know musician which if you're starting out is very difficult to do but like a few things that happened around that time for me i'd booked uh tours and i was doing a ton of college you know like the, the NACA circuit and stuff like that so i had a bunch of work basically and i got like an ASCAP award and you need to prove that you've got awards and all this kind of so it was uh yeah i was uh, i was very fortunate and um but it definitely a lot of work and and um you know but that's you know it's i i, I it's what you got to do to right. <laughs> if you want to live in the country you love so i know i became i became a citizen last year so um oh, congratulations. Know, sorry year, year before last actually now yeah thanks man so yeah, it's cool. I've, I've uh, you know, I love, I love, I love where I'm from. I love the UK. I'm proud, proud to be a British citizen. I also love this country, and you know, my family are American, and and um, uh, I'm very proud citizen of both. It's great. We yeah. travel around the world, use a UK uh, passport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although you, you'd be surprised that's less useful than it used to be uh, I about bet. a year ago. Genevieve, my wife, has three passports. She has, since she's from Northern Ireland, she has the Irish one, she has the UK, right. and she's going to have an American one. So. But I think that Irish one's pretty useful. Everyone Irish loves people one, from Ireland. Everybody <laughs> yeah. loves people from Ireland. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. They're so widely accepted everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good um, people. Now the voice of of germany stuff so yeah. why was that something how did that come up because it seems like kind of looking back into your stuff it seems like you already had some things going on you were touring and i know a lot of a lot of artists uh that do things like the voice and stuff and stuff like that they're actually mm-hmm. called to participate in shows like this they don't go in yeah. on a on a what they call cold audition so yeah right um, was that kind of, that seems like that is what happened with you. Yeah, that's, that's right. So it, um, I split, so there's around, like, I just get, you know, I try and summarize this so I don't bore anybody, but like, uh, you don't have to summarize, I'm, just, just tell <laughs> tell us your story, Nick. When I, when I switched <laughs> from, from sort of the, the three jobs to, to the one job of music, that was around 2010. And one of the ways I was able to do that, as I was saying, is to start touring a lot. Um, and yeah you know, the college thing was really useful for me in this country. I love if, if you're not in the U S or even if you are in the U S for, for musicians, 
um, and you've played with a lot of people who have benefited from this, I think, too. Like the college market is is yeah. is is a bread and butter thing for a lot of singer songwriters. Um, certainly was in like the late nineties, early two thousands, mid late two thousands, and I was one of those. And so, I in two thousand ten, I, I hit the road basically four time almost. Um, played over one hundred and fifty shows a year. And as well as getting those kind of gigs, I was also managing to start getting opening slots for, for other artists and mm-hmm. um, open for a band called Boyce Avenue and then later Lifehouse. And both of those tours happened to be back in Europe, which is ironic given that I'd been trying to sort of get my way in the, in the US market for, for, what, six years at that point. And so these tours, uh, you know, took me around Europe and, and especially in sort of G- Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Netherlands, I was starting to like see I was building my own fan base. And yeah. After I did the tour with Lifehouse, um, which was just epic and such great guys and amazing fan base, I did my own first headlining run around sort of Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and people were showing up. You know, this is like it, it kind of insane. I've been playing in New York for so long, and I'd managed to get a, a following in New York. People, you know, maybe get a hundred people to come to gigs and stuff like that, which is you know, it's like it's not an easy feat. Um, no, but no, no. Yeah, I was I was just like blown away that in like this totally different country that I had never been to really before 2010 people were coming up like, you know, and, and seeing me play. So then I would get a, a, um, a chance to open for other artists and bigger artists. And it was just building a nice fan base. And then a, a record label in Hamburg came, approached me and signed me. And this is all before The Voice. And so I really felt like I had something going, you know, in, in a great market. You know, Germany's like the third biggest market in the, in, after the US and Japan. So it was totally worth like pushing it and, um, and then I, I did more and more openings, a couple of headlining runs. And then I felt things were plateauing a little bit. Like I was getting a couple of hundred people to my gigs. And, and, but I was like, how do I get to this next, this next point? And at that time, The Voice had already done a season and, um, in the US, the UK, everywhere else in the world. And um, in Germany, they're about to do their second season. And, and they asked me if I'd like to be on the show as a contestant. So I did the casting audition, which is for the producers and, and everyone that you mentioned. And uh, it went really well. And then they were like, small caveat, you have to learn German so you can speak with the coaches. And I was like, oh. <laughs> um, right, so we go. My, my daughter is going to run into the shop. Oh, but- <laughs> hi. <laughs> say hi. Yeah. Uh, nice to meet gonna, you. Going to finish up. Okay, I'll come now. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Very sweet. Y- yeah, she's great. Um, so, yeah, they said you have to learn German. And I was like, well, when do we start taping? Like two months. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, you, you know this. Like, How the hell? In- <laughs> How? Did you well, learn you know, German in two months? Yeah, I learned enough German. <laughs> it's like they That's a up. hard language. Yeah, it really is. But I think when you really fought, like we were talking about songwriting earlier, like when you're forced to write something, you right. do it, you know? Right. And I, I think for me, I was like, I don't, if I want to continue my career as a musician and entertainer, this is what I'm going to have to do. This opportunity has presented itself. And I say this to anyone, like if you, if you want to have a chance, you know, what, there's 20 or 40,000 songs a day uploaded to Spotify. So how are you going to stand out? Like, what are you going to do that's different? Because everyone can sing and, and, and write a song and record it at home now. And you've got to do something crazy if you want to stand out. And to me, this was like an avenue to, to do something different. And so I gave it my everything to learn enough German. And, and, and then I did, I did the first show. I mean, I, it was so bad, but like, Every, maybe I got voted, you know, because people felt sorry for me. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, it was just this, all, all the songs were in English and everything like that. And um, 
but yeah, conversing with the judges and the hosts and all the stuff. So, you know, I gave it my best shot and it ended up winning. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> I, I saw that you played, you played a couple of your original tunes on the show. So, uh, is, w- is that a weird, is that a weird thing that not many contestants did? Or was that, do you think maybe that helped you along in, in the show? Yeah. Uh, that was like my main reason for doing that particular show actually okay. because I, I knew that you could sing an original if you got to like the sem- semi-final oh it's and, a perfect um, way perfect way to show who you really are and yeah it's nuts i mean you what other opportunity you're going to get to play your own music for like you know five ten million people it's it just doesn't happen very often right right and like you know a lot of the other shows like idol and things which you know, are all great and have all done really good things with people's careers but they're all covers and i just there was one thing about the voice that stood out to me was that you had a chance to sing an original um you know as early as the semi-final and i was once i started once i want you got through the blind audition and the next round the next round i was my sights were like i just gotta get it you know be able to sing a song of my own right. and uh i wrote a song during hurricane sandy which had, you know between filming uh, like the live, you know, the pre-tape shows and the live shows. I'd come back to New York. We were still living in New York, and that was when Sandy hit. And um, I wrote this song called "Unbreakable" about the spirit of New York, and then went back, and that was the song I, I did on the voice. And ended up That's winning really sweet. Yeah, it was cool. It was like a, just a beautiful like six-month period, and everything fell into place. And sometimes that happens. That's incredible. So, so this seems like kind of a through line in your life and your career. So it's like you you reach these points where you have you you know what you have to do yeah and you do it (laughs) and then things just (laughs) fall into place and then you reach the next thing and it's like that's cool that's like a really i mean seems like you've dealt with a lot of stuff and you've gotten through a lot of stuff and you just figure i mean learning fucking german in in two (laughs) months that's like I mean, that's going to be the name of this episode. A, I, the, yeah, <laughs> I like that. It's perfect. I should say there's a lot of fucking failure within those, within all the, you know, these things I'm of talking about, highlights. Of and course. I think that's like, you know, so important, but it, it's like, you're, you know, you've got to fail over and over again. And then, yeah. you know, I, I always think like when I walked on the, the voice stage, you know, I was so nervous to speak German, but the performing part, I played, you know, 50, 50 shitty bar gigs in New York, 100 shitty bar gigs in New York, right. trying to get people's attention, you know, getting heckled and sing like Journey, you know, so like walking <laughs> so, on There's nothing and, you can do to me. That- <laughs> yeah, I was like, I got this. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was like easy. You know, people actually listening. Wow. Um, you know, so all those sort of things, all that work, I, I felt like it had just at that po- that moment, it had all come good. And like the, the voice was the easiest thing I've ever done because I, as I said, I played so many gigs you know, driven through the snow in upstate New York to a college, you know, college gigs and getting stuck, like, you know, driving off the road and ice, you know, you name it, dude, I've, I've done it, you know? Yeah, um, of course. And so when you're on TV every week and like, there's millions of people watching and you're just watching your single has got the chart and, you know, you're just like, this is the easy, this is the reward for yeah. all of those, you know, time put in. But yeah, I definitely, there's definitely been so many failures and rough moments too, but that was one of the, you know, sometimes life deals you a nice hand and that was it for me. <laughs> of course. Would you say that, uh, in my experience that I, of playing over in Europe and the UK and stuff, I will say kind of touch on what you're talking about before that the audiences over there are so much more willing to, to take the time to be quiet and listen and to, to actually experience something new or, or whatever's in front of them, um, rather than here where the, where the attention span is very short. Um, so 
uh, would you agree with that? Do you think that's something that helped you along the way? You know, I don't know. You can take I, it from there. Yeah, I, it's funny because I I, get, I hear that a lot from American artists and musicians that go over to Europe. Um, right. And I've, I've tried and frame it like in the context of, of, of neutrality because I think sometimes you're, you can be so excited to be in a, in a new place, especially going to Europe because it's so like magical that you can also you can, uh, uh, this is just me thinking this, like you can make yourself think an experience was better than it might have been because you were having such a blast. Okay, you know? sure, sure. Um, and because I, but, but I've heard so many Americans say that, but then I would be discounting the US audiences that I played for, if I, you know, I, and because I've played, I've played some rough shows in Europe too, you know what I mean? Where people aren't listening yeah. or I've played shows like in certain places where out of, they're too respectful. Like people just... <clears throat> You right. know, and, like, and you're like, come on, give me I need something, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've, I've definitely, I've seen it all uh, uh, in Europe. And I've also like in the US, I've played some shows. I mean, especially it depends, I think, who you're, who you're playing for, you know, what kind of audience it is. Um, you know, I, the shows with Eric, for instance, our, our, our mutual friend, like his audiences are just so kind and gracious and, and super focused and listening, you know. And so mm -hmm. I've had great experiences there. I've also played those gigs in up, you know, Upper West Side bars and Lower East Side bars where no one's listening. Right. Um, so I think a lot of it depends on the circumstance. But I, but I, there are places in Europe where I think people really value sort of singer songwriters, American like Americana, certain genres that have taken a minute. Some I, I don't I don't know, but like somewhere like the Netherlands, they're like known for loving like singer songwriters. Okay, and and that's like that's really cool, you know, because it's really yeah. nice to know there's a place you can go where they, they, they really are going to love what you're doing. And that's not, I mean, look, there's been some of the singer songwriters in this country have done great. So it's not, you yeah. know what I mean? It's hard to compare them, but it, Germany, it definitely gets out and supports. And I know tons of us artists that have enjoyed careers over there and still enjoy going over. And they're like, when I play in Germany, people show up to my shows. When I play in New York or Boston, no one comes and they can't put their finger on why that is. It mm. could be because you're a bit, you know, because you're American. They're excited to see like an American come over or, you know, whatnot. And and maybe a European coming to the States would have that experience. So the answer here is I don't really know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've had, I've had, I've, I've been lucky to play some great, to the great audiences and some not so great audiences. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> no, I think, I think the way that you described it is perfect. Like it's just, uh, yeah, it depends on your experience and where you go and who you're playing in front of. So it's yeah, and I think you're right. I think the fact that the time that I went over there to play, it was kind of set up where it was a layup. You know, we, yeah. we, we weren't we weren't gonna we, it, we weren't gonna fail with what we were doing because there was people there that wanted to see us. They knew we were American. They were happy to see us. They're happy we were over there. So that experience was never going going to be bad. Right. So. And I'm sure that if we played somewhere else where the situation may have been different and they're like, who the fuck are these guys? Yeah. Then, then it could have been way worse. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think the, the audience is probably so psyched because it's kind of a novelty that like, you were, you know, I don't know who you were playing with, but like, it was probably not, not the norm that you would, they would go over and play in Europe. So that's maybe a once every three years kind of tour for that right. artist. And so people are like doubly psyched, you know, yeah. to see you. And then it, it maybe if you go back and play like every six months, it would be like kind of what happens here. And it's like, Oh, right. okay. Like, <laughs> but, are, these, are these guys again? <laughs> yeah. But, but who knows? There is something also, I think about touring in Europe that is just, Un unparalleled anywhere else in the world and that is like you know you drive an hour and you're in a different country like with different language and that is just that right. keeps you going i think and especially like if you're touring 
for a long period and it's in the winter, let's say, it's like, oh, we're in Spain today. Like, what am I? This is amazing. You know, now we're in Italy right. and now we're in Germany and now we're in England. And um, that is obviously unparalleled anywhere in the world else in the world because there's not, you know, maybe South America, but even that's a little different tour around. Um, Asia is a lot of flight, fly dates in and out. Australia is its own kind of little, you know, crazy thing. And right. the, the US, it's, it, it is also amazing. I mean, I've done like full US tours where, you start out in snowy Vermont and you end up in sunny San Diego. And it's like, how am Isn't I in the, the same best? country? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like, how am I still in this, in the same country? You know, yeah. I've just seen, I've seen desert mountains, beach. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it all. So yep. the U S has got its perks too. I mean, it's, it's all just a you know joy to, to tour anywhere really. Yeah. As a, you have more experience than me in this, in this realm, but as a rock and roll dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling me rock and roll. I appreciate that. That's right. Always. <laughs> very generous. Very oh. generous. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's your, ex- cause I, I haven't, you know, I had a baby during the pandemic. I haven't really done much touring. I haven't really spent much time away from home and that's been kind of a blessing it's definitely not kind of yeah definitely been a blessing to be able to spend a tons of time at home be honest um, sometimes you're like oh man i wish i could go on the road right now absolutely <laughs> i i'm gonna be honest i feel that i feel that way right now <laughs> to be completely honest. And, and, and your wife probably wishes you could go away too you know <laughs> it's like, that's what happens right now but i don't know how, how do you feel about it have you have you had moments where you're like man i don't know how this touring is going to work with these kids because I think that's something that everyone goes through. I've had the thoughts for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, they're scary thoughts, but the, the, Absolutely. the thought of not doing the thing that you love is just kind of, it scares me even more. Um, yeah. but what's your experience been with it and has it, be, uh, has it gotten easier or harder over time? So you know? yeah, it's so interesting. I think there's, there's, there is a happy medium. I think that, that, um, you know, people that do what we do for a living that have kids can, can find. And like, it, it, it's always dependent on the person and how much you are willing to do. And like, for me, I think over the last few years, pandemic, notwithstanding, like I was touring less, you know, and I would say where I maybe got it, got it slightly wrong was after we, uh, after we had my, uh, our first, um, daughter, um, you know, when she was a baby, I was touring quite a lot. It was 2015. Um, I didn't, it, while you don't want to be away, it doesn't feel like you're missing sort of magical moments, but as they start to get a little bit older, you know, two, three, four, every minute is precious, you know? And so you really, it's painful to be away from that. I think at the end of 2016, I did four months straight of touring in the U S and and in Europe. And I did two support tours. I did, you know, it was like two headlining tours, a house concert. I was just like, it was just burnout. You know, I had a record out and, it felt like I was lo- like losing, you know, l- losing part of that relationship. And like, I was worried that my daughter was even like forgetting like who I was, oh, you know, nice. for, for a moment. And that is, that's, that's not a good vibe. No. And so uh, after that, we, we sort of reassessed and you know, like, my wife is an incredible partner and, and we we do all this together and, um, we, we reassess, you know, and we were like, okay, that's too much. Now we know that. <laughs> so right. what, what's a, what's a happy medium for this? And since the end of then, the end of 2016, I think I've tried to find a nice balance where I'll go and tour for a week or two. And then, you know, that would be that, right. or, or, you know, and, and, to, and I think now play shows as well, like maybe uh, got to this point in my life, play shows cause I want to, and not cause I feel like I need to, you know? 
So, so starting a booking company so I could, you know, have that going on and not have to rely on playing so many shows was mm. a part of that. And, and now doing a lot more writing and stuff like that. So I could be home, you know, there's a big, big part of that conversation, but I still love touring. So I love traveling and, yeah. you know, I've taken the family with me as well. And we've done like, we've, we based ourselves in one city in Europe and I'll go and play three days, like the Nashville kind of way, like go and play three nights, come back for four, go and play another, and, you know, and do yeah. it like that. That's a really cool thing. It's not, it's not easy to do. You have to kind of craft it. Right. But, um, I do, lo- but, yeah. I do love that about the natural way of touring, like the weekend kind of thing, base yourself and then go somewhere. It, it, it seems like a, a nice way to do things where, where your life feels a little bit more normal. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but it's yeah. very natural. It's very, very natural. Obviously you have to be a certain caliber of artist to be able to afford to do that, you know, Correct. Yeah. cause yeah. it's, it's like, it, it's, it's and... obviously not the most cost effective way of doing it. You know, most right. artists would tell you, but it's, it's, but I did get here and I was like, that's really refreshing to see people. The focus is, is family and time at home and, and with the people you love. And, and it's like, how can we make this work? And so for people that don't know what we're talking about, it's, it's literally like they tour Thursday through Sunday and they're in the home, you know, Monday through Wednesday. And, and it's just kind of, kind of awesome. And, and again, not in the pandemic, but typically you see, I'll see tour buses all over our neighborhood picking people up, you know, from, from their homes to go on these runs. It's such a natural thing. Like all, all the supermarkets have tour buses in them. And, That's you know, awesome. I, I get super excited when I see that. Cause I'm like, that is such a cool unique thing about this city you know yeah you're going on a massive road trip and, and the the cost effective thing it's like you know you're in nashville so you have a, uh, a show in seattle and portland and, and yeah you know spokane it's like <laughs> you're Somewhere, on a yeah. you're on a cross-country road trip for a day for, yeah that's what i mean <laughs> you gotta you gotta be pulling some pretty, pretty good numbers at your shows to be justifying that lifestyle but but right. it's cool to see people doing it i think this was great yeah i'll let you i'll let you get back to your family it was really nice to catch up with you thanks for doing it. yeah dude likewise and i hope i hope when you can make it back down here we can go for beer and and hang out in in non-zoom setting i would love (laughs) that well dude thanks so much for doing it um thanks buddy well thank you for thinking of me for this i'm really grateful and and um, yeah dude let's let's work on some songs and and hopefully see you not not for too long all right man see you later all right buddy cool yeah enjoy your day bye thank you all so much for listening please 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 Rate, review, and subscribe. We got to get up on those music podcast charts. And I cannot do it without your help. If you're also looking for something to do today, you can go to my website, jessehumphrey.com, and check out all things podcast and Carbon Leaf and all that good stuff. Uh, you can always email into the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. I love to hear your questions. I love to hear your reactions. And I just like to talk to you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Stick around for the music. And I will see you next time. Bye. And don't sweat the small stuff. But life don't always fit to the plan. So we're holding on. Every second, every minute, every heartbreak is a lesson to learn. Every mile that we walk, we're just halfway. Keep pushing on. Every breath we take, all the bones we break, yeah We're just growing up, so don't come undone We're getting older, but we're still young Life's a roller coaster, but it never slows down It never slows down, yeah But with you I always feel like I'm a solid ground 